Well, good morning again to all of you and welcome, but now not only to those of you who are here in our traditional sanctuary, but welcome also especially right now to those of you who are joining us in our contemporary service right now and online and via broadcast. I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad that we have this opportunity to be connected together and to learn and grow together as followers of Jesus Christ. Now today's kind of a big day for us. It's kind of a turning point in the life of our church family. We're coming to the end of one thing and the beginning of another. Today is the end of one phase of a process that's taken us about a year, nine to 12 months together, called Vision 2020, where together we've been praying and talking and learning and growing together, asking God, God, what's your vision for us as a church family? What's your vision for our next steps and for our future together? And we've kind of brought this phase one together, brought it to a head here in a sermon series that we've been sharing on Sunday mornings called The Heart of the Father. And during this series, we've been grounding ourselves in some core values that we believe God has given to us, not just to reflect his heart as he calls all followers of Jesus all around the world to know and to reflect his heart, but also that become kind of the fingerprint of this particular church community. We've been learning the core values of this church family, and I want to review those with you here for a minute. First of all, we began a few weeks ago learning the first core value that Jesus makes us family. It's on the banner over there in the traditional service, also on the front wall in our contemporary service. Would you say that with me? Jesus makes us family. We know that Jesus welcomes us all here in the grace of God as brothers and sisters of his, as children of God, and connects us together in a safe place where everyone can belong, no matter who you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. You're welcome into the family of God and at the table of God. And Jesus builds strong relationships of brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ among us. And not only with people who are like us, but with people who are not like us. And sometimes people who are older than us and younger than us. We're committed to being an intergenerational family together because Jesus makes us family. We also learned our second core value, our value that deep roots make good fruit. And here in both traditional and contemporary, online, could you say that with me? Deep roots make good fruit. Jesus taught us this value himself. We all want to live fruitful lives. We want to bear abundant fruit. And so Jesus says, if that's what you want, then remain in me. I'm like the vine, you're like the branches. We want to have deep roots in the Savior, deep roots in the spirit of the living God. We learned a third core value, that love pours out. Can we all say that wherever we are together? Love pours out. And it's not our love that pours out first. It's God's love pours out. God's love pours out into our lives, fills us up. When we feel empty and we seek fullness in so many other things in life that don't have the power to fill us up. In fact, the more we seek them, the emptier we get. But God pours out his love to us in Christ that we would be filled up from the inside out. But not so that we would keep that love to ourselves, but so that we would pour it out to others. And as a church family, we are committed to live with justice and compassion, care and love for all God's world. Because that's what love does. Because God's love pours out in us. We also are committed to taking our next steps with Jesus and inviting one another and others to take their first steps with Jesus. Our fourth core value is that we invite everyone to take their first and next steps with Jesus. That's the longest of our values, so I'll say it again, then we'll repeat it together. We invite everyone to take their first and next steps with Jesus. Can we all say that together wherever you are? We invite everyone to take their first and next steps with Jesus. We all have next steps. I hope you experience it as good news that God is not done with you. This is not the finish line. This is not where it ends. We all have next steps to take when Jesus invites us to follow him. And every journey begins with a first step. We all had first steps at some point, whether we remember them or not. 
We also want to raise the value of inviting people to share the life of God and Jesus that they might not even know yet. So we want to invite others also and members of our own church family here to take our first steps also. And so we invite first and next steps with Jesus. Today we get to talk about our fifth and final core value here. It's the one that you've been seeing on our videos and on our graphics for weeks. And it's right here on the banner next to me in our contemporary service. It's on the front wall up there. And some of you are a little bit nervous about this because you don't like fractions. So what's that thing up there about? This value is 3,165. You can remember that, right? Let's all together say that right now. 3,165. What does that mean? I figure on average, the average First Lutheran member, and right, there are no average First Lutheran Church members, right? But on average, we might spend about three hours a week in this building or on this campus or in church-related activities, some more, some less, some weeks are different than others, but maybe come to worship on a Sunday morning, a little time before, a little time after, maybe for a ministry activity on a Wednesday night or some other day of the week, maybe some weeks, maybe not. Let's say on average, about three hours a week. That means that we get to live our lives as disciples of Jesus 165 hours a week somewhere else. And we don't want those to be two separate worlds, two separate chapters in our lives, but one integrated whole life. I want to describe that a little bit more in a second, but let me begin by telling you a story of a time when this was really illustrated for me in a powerful way. Some of you won't know about this or won't remember this, but our church used to have a partner congregation in Estonia, which is a former Soviet republic, one of the Baltic republics on the Baltic Sea. We had a partner congregation called St. Lawrence Church, and it was in a small town called Kurisare on the Estonian coast, on the, on the Baltic coast. In the summer of 2009, in August of 2009, a small group from our missions team went over to visit that church after a delegation from their church had visited us a few months earlier. And I found out while I was there that I, <clears throat> that, excuse me, that I misunderstood some of their history, some of the history of the church from the Soviet era, from the communist era in Estonia and in the whole former Soviet Union. I had thought that the Christian church had to go totally underground, that all their practices were outlawed and they were in constant danger. I found out that I misunderstood a little bit. It was perfectly safe. That's maybe exaggerating a little bit, but it should have been perfectly safe for them to gather together on Sunday mornings in their church buildings. That was allowed. But there were two things that they, told, that they shared with me that were not allowed. And this was living memory for them. It was just a few years before. One thing that they were not allowed to do, and I thought this was brilliant on the part of the communist leaders, diabolically brilliant, was that they could not, they were not allowed to engage in any children's or youth ministries, right? So it's okay for the people to have it in one generation. Maybe they figured it would create too much opposition to try to stamp it out all at once, but let's just kill it in one generation, okay? So no children's or youth ministries. I think there's a lot that we can learn from how, how insightful that prohibition was, but it's the other, the other rule I want to share with you this morning, and that was this. You can't do your Christian stuff outside the church building. No home Bible studies, no praying with people out there, no engagement in Christian practices outside the church building. When you get together on Sunday mornings, you want to read the Bible? Knock yourself out. You want to pray? Go ahead. You want to preach the gospel, confess the creeds of the church, share the Lord's Supper? Go for it. That's fine. But what a brilliant strategy for rendering the church irrelevant, ineffective, powerless, impotent, you can do church all you want as long as you only do church at church. Now, we don't face the leaders of the communist Soviet Union here in this part of the world, but boy, do we face some similar forces. 
we say, face some forces that want to separate our three hours in a church building, on a church campus, in church planned activities from the other 98.2%, for those of you who are math geeks, from the whole rest of our lives, the other 165 hours of our lives, we face those same struggles. And I think we feel those struggles. None of us wants to live that way. We want to live whole, integrated lives. But we struggle with the traffic in both directions between our three and our 165. There is what I have come to call a gap. There's a big gap between the three and the 165. We have trouble bridging the gap from three out, from here to there. We have trouble taking what we experience, what we learn, what we share together here in our three and moving it out, or sometimes we use the word apply, applying it in our 165. But I think we also struggle with traffic in the opposite direction. We struggle to bridge the gap, to bring our real 165 selves into our three. We struggle to bring our, our parenting fails, our business questions, our relationship breakdowns, our successes, our failures, our pain, our loneliness, our real selves. We come into a church building and we put on our plastic smiles and come together and pretend everything's all right. We struggle to bring our three to our 165 and our 165 to our three. And I think as we learn this value, as we learn to own and practice this value together, it probably has, I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to go out on a limb. I think this value maybe has more potential, more power to be transformative for our individual lives, for the lives of our households, for the life of this gathered household, which is First Lutheran Church, than maybe any of our others. And I want to begin by sharing with you today what I think is the central teaching of Jesus that has the ability to change our vision on this. And I think among all the teachings of Scripture, among all the teaching of Jesus, there probably is no one single teaching that, in my view, is at the same time more important and less understood. And I'm talking about Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God. Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God. Let me begin by telling you why I think that's so important, why it's, why it's so important in Jesus' life. When we first meet Jesus in his public ministry, when he first begins preaching and teaching, he goes about the Galilean countryside and towns telling them that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, which means turn around. Turn your lives around and believe this good news. The kingdom of God is coming. This is Jesus' first message. As Jesus continued to teach, he used a device called parables. Jesus is famous for his teaching in parables. And so many of his parables are about the kingdom of God, or sometimes he also called it the kingdom of heaven, two names for the same thing. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a field where a man found a treasure. The kingdom of God is like a great banquet. The kingdom of God is like, he was trying to give people in his own day and age a vision or a corrected vision for the kingdom of God. He began to teach that way. He rooted his public ministry and teaching in it. He prayed for the kingdom of God and taught his followers to do the same. When his disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray, he said, all right, we're going to pray together to our Father who's in heaven for God's glory. Hallowed be his name. Here's what you should pray for. Your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come, which means your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the whole rest of the Lord's prayer is a matter of fleshing out the details of what will happen, what will be true when God's kingdom comes. Jesus started teaching this way. He based his teaching ministry on this. He prayed for it, and he died for it. When Jesus died, this was the charge. This is what got the Romans to kill him. And they put the charge for which he was executed capitally on, his, on the cross over his head. In three languages, they put it up there. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In their view, false pretensions to kingship. 
is what got Jesus killed. It's how he started, it's what he taught, it's what he prayed for, it's what he died for. This is central to the message of Jesus. And I think we don't understand it very well. To try to illustrate one side of what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God, I want to draw actually on the passage we read today, which comes from the words of John the Baptist, the baptizer and forerunner of Jesus' ministry. He had a powerful and clarifying encounter that can be very instructive for us. As John the Baptist was out there telling people that God's movement was coming, the ax was already at the foot of the trees, inviting people to do what Jesus said, turn your lives around to the action of God. And he invited them to come and be baptized. And they said, well, this is happening what should we do? Right, what a great question. So if that's what God is doing, what should we do? And John's answers are very enlightening. John said to him, first of all, he's like, well, if you got two shirts, share one with somebody who doesn't have one. If you got plenty of food, share that too. And then he got some more specific questions from people who are identified in the story by their professions, by their jobs, and so some tax collectors came. I think it's very interesting. The tax collectors began repenting and coming to John even before they found Jesus. And then Jesus had a whole ministry among the outcasts. They came and said, what should we do? And John said, well, you should stop taking more money from people than what they owe. Be honest in your profession. And then some soldiers came. If there was anybody who was less likely to respond in the culture of the first century than the tax collectors, it would have been the soldiers. But the soldiers came. And they said, John, what should we do? I said, well, don't extort money. Don't make false accusations and receive bribes to kind of make them go away. Be content with your pay. I think it's really interesting that the kingdom action here is defined for people in terms of their jobs, which is probably one of the places where a lot of us struggle the most to integrate our three with our 165. I tend to think in terms of trying to integrate with our home lives, our work lives, and our social lives. All the answers that John gave to those who came to him, they weren't really three answers. They were really 165 answers. They came out for this three kind of ceremony, for this baptism in the Jordan River, and he integrated it in the kingdom of God with their 165. He didn't say the kingdom of God is coming, therefore you all need to be priests in the temple. Spend your whole lives in the temple. He said the kingdom of God is coming, therefore this is what you do in your jobs. This is what you do with your resources. The gap gets closed. It's not two separate worlds, my religious world, my private interior world, my church world, in the first century, my temple world or synagogue world, and the rest of my world. It's one world. In fact, I want to share with you a phrase that I've been using in my own life and have shared with some other people to try to help me remember and kind of encapsulate what the kingdom message was all about. And this is the phrase I've been using. God's whole world, God's whole way. God's whole world. God's whole way. And Jesus came declaring that this reality was at hand in him. It's good news. God is on the move. God is putting his world back together again. Where there is sins, there will be forgiveness. Where there is sickness, there will be healing. Where there is hate, there will be love. Where there are broken relationships, there will be mended relationships. Where there is death, there will be resurrection. Turn your lives around. Come believe the good news. The kingdom of God is coming. It's God's whole world, God's whole way. Not just God's church world or religious world. The Bible already had a picture for that. Since some of the earliest stages of the Bible, God had a tabernacle for the Israelites in the Old Testament and a temple in Jerusalem. And that Old Testament tabernacle and temple were always supposed to be a, a little microcosm of heaven and on earth. A little taste of the unfettered presence of God here on earth. 
But Jesus came and said, no, the kingdom of God is coming to the world. And let's, let's pray for that to come. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's whole world, God's whole way. Let that be true among us. Jesus taught us to live and taught us to pray. Is that easy for us? Is that an easy vision that we can march out and accomplish? Of course not. It's not under our power to do it in the first place. Jesus said God was bringing it and invited us to get on board, invited us to hear the good news and join it. And there are powerful forces at work that oppose the integration of the three and the 165 in our lives. Again, here in this part of the world, we're not facing the forces of of the communist leadership of the former Soviet Union, but we're facing massive cultural forces that invite us to believe that kind of teach into the very fabric of our assumptions that we have a private, interior, religious world that does not connect with our public, political, business relationship world. We keep those spheres separate. We're encouraged to keep that private. There are cultural forces at work. I believe there are spiritual forces at work. I mean, I I think the enemy, I think the evil one would love, would love to limit your life as a disciple of Jesus to one or two percent of your life. I bet he was delighted to work through those forces years ago in the Soviet Union, he'd be delighted to work through other forces right now to give you just enough taste of life with Jesus to vaccinate you against taking it any more, any further. Just a little bit. There's massive forces at work against this. But Jesus had this integrated vision, a vision for what the kingdom of God really was. It was Jesus' vision for the kingdom. It was Jesus' value. He teaches it to us and gives us his power. We don't make this happen on our own but gives us his power, unleashes the power of his spirit in the world to make this happen. I I would love to spend a lot more time teaching about the kingdom of God right now, but instead of that, what I brought along with me are two testimonies on video that I want to share with you, just two stories among hundreds of stories that could be told by us, by the members of this church family, sharing their experience of how it is that they see the integration of 3 and 165 happening in their lives. One is an example from the work world, from a member of this congregation who I've come to know over the years, and I'm one of many people who's come to admire the way that he lives his 3165 life in his life of business leadership. And I know there are lots of folks I've heard over the years who work with him who have sought him out because of the kind of person that he's shown himself to be in his work life. And the second story is a story of a marriage, a married couple here, members of our congregation, who just in the last couple of years have seen their marriage go from crisis to being saved, saved their marriage by the power and the grace of God at work in them and the integration of what's happening in their lives on Sunday morning with the rest of the hours of their week. So let me just share those stories with you right now. For me, I've been blessed with many examples of living our faith in this world from my mother and father. They truly serve God by quietly serving others in their community for many years. Their lives of service was encapsulated in reading from Micah at my father's funeral. Those words were, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? When one considers the world of business, the terms justice, kindness, and humility do not always rise to the top level of thought. In fact, the worldview is the opposite. The worldview is me first, no matter what, or push others to my wishes and agendas, and certainly oversized and overbearing egos. In the end, it's all about me 
and my personal success. Well, I too am an imperfect man in that imperfect world. But the words of Micah, the book of Micah, call to me and the teachings, friendships, and support I received from my family at this church call me to strive every day to be that person God has called me to be. For me, Jesus' command is clear. Love God, love neighbor. These simple words provide the plan, I would say the blueprint, to live the life our God has called me and all of us to live. When we moved here from the Washington, D.C. area about four years ago, we were in a really tough place in our marriage. And by the time we came to First Lutheran two years ago, we had almost come undone. We had started out well. But then we really ran into a storm. My mom died unexpectedly in 2007, and I lost my job, uh, a job I loved in politics in the height of the 2008 recession. Um, it was really a job that I had gotten my identity from. I'd done it for 20 years, and I thought I was pretty good at it. But I was adrift and angry, um, and frankly, I was not real easy to live with. Um, as I became less and less emotionally available at home, Lyle really picked up the slack, doing more and more for our family. She kept the trains uh, running on time, but you know, really she was slowly dying inside. Um, but she was too, I certainly didn't notice it, and she was too busy to notice until we moved back here to Minnesota and found ourselves really alone uh, we were alone even though we were together. I'd lost my mom and I'd lost my professional identity. And now we'd both lost the community and that had really held us together and held our family together. So instead of leading my family closer to Christ, I was often the one uh, blocking the work of God's grace in our family life. We'd go to church and have a great service and get fed and hear the great music, great sermon. But I'd spend the bulk of the service thinking about our family finances or other issues, not, not being present really at all. And then on our way home, we'd stop for our customary after church brunch at a restaurant. And, you know, I'd chew out the host if he wouldn't seat us right away. I was that guy. What happened to church wasn't really connecting to the rest of my life, and it wasn't connecting to our family life because of me. We'd have our family read scripture devotionals at home, but the real message I was sending was coming through louder and clearer to my kids than the message of the gospel. It finally got so bad that Lyle asked me to leave, uh, to move out of the house, to get my act together. It was hard, I was upset, I was angry. Uh, but she was desperate and at the end of her rope. Uh, and it was through this time that the Lord um, softened my heart and brought healing to me and to our family. I think for me, a big part of our story is about God saving us through um, 
friendship. And I had um, a couple friends come visit for a weekend and they saw what was happening in our home, what the situation was. And they were old friends and they knew that we had been really happy and had emotional intimacy before. And now they saw how broken, um, broken down we were. So one of my friends suggested I find a support group and I came to a meeting at First Lutheran and really began to get a vocabulary for what was happening in my life. And um, that meeting on Monday mornings has, has become a real touchstone for me on this path, path of restoration. And um, every summer I spend a few days away with friends and they were able to mirror back to me how unhappy I had been for a long time, how much I'd been doing at home by myself. And they really encouraged me in the Lord. They encouraged me to confront Dean. Um, but no one really close to me encouraged divorce. And I feel like that's so important because I didn't need a way out. I needed a way through. So what do you think changed, what changed for us? Well, for me, uh, was it getting more serious about following a new set of rules, uh, rules that I'd rarely keep anyway or were, match up to, but would instead get frustrated when I didn't meet my standards? Um, no, it was really finally admitting that I was on the throne of my life, that I was powerless over life, uh, and that God should be on the throne and that God needed to run my life, and then the growing realization uh, that in Christ I was literally a new person, one whose life was is hidden with Christ and God moment to moment, and that this new life could be lived out in loving you and in loving my family. You know, we talk often in the Christian life about love, this concept of love, but what does that really mean? Uh, God showed me through meditating on 1 Corinthians 13 and Ephesians 4 and 1 John 3 and 4 that uh, loving my wife, the key was loving my wife like she wanted to be loved, not trying to possess and control and manipulate her for my ends and for my selfish uh, goals, but with the sacrificial love that Christ showed us when he gave his life for the church and for us. So we're trying to cultivate love during our 165. We spend daily time in the Bible. We seek healing prayer. We pray together. We, count, we get counseling together. We attend 12-step meetings. It's about accountability. When we're wrong, we promptly admit it. We serve, submit, and say we're sorry. And what we're doing in the 165, that kind of life, is making the three church hours even richer and more refreshing than ever. 
You know, in a way, I was like the parable Jesus told about the man who built his house on the sand. Um, the rains came and the wind blew and the house promptly fell over. And I'm just grateful that I've been given a second chance by Lyle, by the Lord, by my family to build that house upon the rock that is Christ, that is his love, that's available to each of us through his grace. That's two stories. We've all got stories. We've all got stories unique to our own circumstances of how it is that God is working and we're seeking the presence of God and seeking to serve God and all the differences that make up our 168, that make up our whole week, our whole lives, our presence in God's whole world. And I think as a church, God has given us this value and invited us to grow in it. As a, as a pastor and a leader here, to be honest, uh, tell you, I don't think that we're doing a good enough job at this yet. I'd like to see a future for us where we grow in this value, where our three and our 165 are connected, where when you're here for your three, experience forgiveness and grace and celebration and welcome and belonging from the 165 and empowerment and equipping and sending from the three to the 165. And I want to invite you to dream and grow together as a part of this church family and listen for how God might be speaking to your heart, to us together as a church to grow in this value. To ask you to begin thinking about where it is that you feel that gap the most strongly. Where, in what part of your life do you feel like the three and the 165 are just so far apart and the bridge is hard to imagine? And what do you think would help build a bridge over that gap? What do you think might be helpful in your life? What do you think might be helpful for us as a church community, for a church family, to help us bridge those gaps? I know that many of you have gotten in the habit over the last few weeks even of using that Growing in Our Values card that's in your bulletin this morning, and you can journal on that and use that to brainstorm. And if God gives you any ideas you want to share with our church's leadership teams, we're planning next steps. Today's a begin an end, but it's also a beginning of us taking next steps to grow in these values. We'd love to know what would be helpful to you as we grow in this value. And you can think about what it, is, what it would be that would help you take the three out to the 165 and think about what it would be that would help you take the 165 back to the three. I really believe this is central to our identity, to the character of our church family, and to the mission that God has given us to be and make disciples of Jesus. And I think that this value has massive transformative potential for who we are and how God works through us and through his church in the world. I want to just close this time together by praying, by praying for God to do that in us and through us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your incredible grace and your persistent love, for your pervasive love by which you would come to us in Jesus and bring your healing, your recovery, the inauguration of your kingdom here in your world. And God, I pray that you would just work in us by your own spirit, by your own power, work in our hearts and call us to yourselves. Cause us to turn around and receive this good news. And God, I pray by your same spirit that you would empower us, fill us up to serve you, to, to see you, to know you and receive you everywhere that we go. God, in our home lives, in our work lives, in our social lives, make us to be citizens and agents of your kingdom wherever we are, whenever it is, wherever we go. God, I pray you'd fill us up with your spirit and send us out. Put our lives together for your glory. We live and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.